Okay, what's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Energize. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. We have Bellator Lightweight Sensation and DJ Extraordinaire, Paul Redzer Revan. Paul, how are you getting on? That's a bit more chill. Everyone gets a special one. Everyone gets a special introduction here, Redzer. It's important. How's life treating you in isolation, bud? Yeah, it's not too bad. It's like everyone else. Um, Fucking... Just boring, just just boring. Washing the hands, staying at home. You know, uh, I'm I'm still training away in terms of uh, get me runs in sort of around the area, cycling, a few kettlebells and stuff. It's not the same, you know. I'm really missing the MMA at the minute, but other than that, there's not much else you can do, you know. Yeah, are you still getting the DJing in as well? Just at home. Um, so I DJ for a nightclub in town, uh, 22, and we've been doing some uh, Saturday night live streams on Facebook and stuff like that. So um, yeah. they rotate the DJs sort of um, once a month. So I did one like a couple of weeks ago. Other than that, not really, you know. Yeah, how are you finding that as well? Yeah, just boring. Uh, it's a good shit, just playing to the wall in your room, you know. Uh, but I did it for many years before I got out into the club scene, so uh, it's nothing new there, you know. Yeah, we had a we had another Bellator athlete and slash DJ as well on the show, James Haskell. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, who's who would be a better DJ? I don't know. How, what the, what does he play? I don't know. I'll tell you, Trance isn't it? Trance is like fucking ten years old, man. That, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't give out. Like you know, he's a heavyweight. Like you know. I'd say it's him. But here, Redman, like. Uh, you're you're one of the most known fighters in Ireland. Like, uh, how how did you get into the world of mixed martial arts? Um, just I used to I tried I tried everything when I was younger, football, Gaelic, the usual guy getting sent down by my mad and stuff. And um, when I was a lot younger, you know, ten, eleven years of age, cutting kicks now off a rope, cutting box, bleeding eggs, and um, <laughs> couldn't do any of it. I wasn't I wasn't the athletic person, and. Um, I was more of a pisshead uh, right up until I was about 21 on the building sites and that, you know. And yeah. um, a friend of mine just gave me a, a few pride, ultimate pride knockouts, um, uh, same with the UFC. There were just highlights of like Mirko Crowcop head kicking fellas and Vandalay and all those guys just going through people. Yeah. And it, for whatever reason, I just, uh, like, I wouldn't have even been a, a big sports fan back then. I wouldn't even have been a big fight fan back then. But for whatever reason, I just found myself watching it a lot, like a, a lot, a lot, and I, I enjoyed watching it. And then again, I, I even tried to do the gym and lift weights and all years ago, and it just wasn't on me. I just, you know, so it got to the point then where I was a little bit bleeding, tubby, fucking, uh, you know, eating the the building soy field, like you're talking like breakfast rolls and all, and going out on the rib the weekends. I just wasn't living healthy and just wanted to change something. And, I ended up finding Team Rhino was about a 10-minute walk from my house. They used to be down in uh, Kambarik Industrial Estate and um, just went down on my own. I didn't really tell anybody that I was going down. I just wanted to do it for myself just to lose a little bit of weight and get fit and stuff. Never thought I'd go fighting. Never thought I'd uh, even get in competing. Again, it was just literally just to do something where it's a little bit different and you could get a good workout in. Yeah. And then it just sort of snowballed from there, really. Yeah, how long were you there for until like you were like right? This is something I'm gonna stick at. So, like like that, I never punch, never throw a punch around like that. I didn't know how to throw a punch before I walked into uh, Team Rhino. 
So from that day till now, I think it's about 12 and a half years. I think it was like 2008. And it was a week after my 22nd birthday. Um, 11 and a half years. Uh, sorry, uh, 2008 to now. And it'll be 12 years in October. Yeah, no, yeah, but like, how long were you actually there for? Until, and then you were like, right, this is something I'm going to do. I'm going to stick at it. Uh, years. Like, so six months, I think we took my first fight at amateur. I got choked out unconscious in like 10 seconds of the first round. Um, I was too heavy. So Andy said, look, you know, I was getting, you know, relatively okay for six months training um, in the gym. And Andy said, look, you're, not, you're, you're too heavy for it. I think I fought a middleweight was, was the, that, that <laughs> weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I took me next fight down a couple of weeks at 80 kilos I fought Neil Terry's brother um, on, on last minute I mean Neil good, good close friends like, a, a guy pulled out the day of the fight and Neil says do you want a fight and I said yeah of course I'm at the day like, a couple of weeks training for it but he hang on rings his brother so the end of the fight that night I'll be there Neil doing it to his corner that was that was it. That was what it was back then. It was just like, wait, you want to fight? Yeah, I know. It wasn't like, oh, I mean, records gonna get this and this, and nobody, nobody talked about it like that, you know. So, yeah. um, yeah, a couple of months in, sorry, about a year and a half, I was started amateur. I took took about ten amateur fights, and then we went pro. But anyway, even then, it was just when they went pro, it wasn't like oh, I'm going pro to be this or to be that or. It was just a change of real set is all it was. It was just like you're fighting pro reels and it's going to be a little bit tougher now and you've got a few different things in the cage that you can use, the likes of elbows and stuff like that. Nobody really was doing heel hooks and all back then, you know. It was it was more it was more to do with it. Uh, it was just a real set, you know. And then a couple of, I think I, I don't think it really hit me um, to it was something that I could do professionally at a serious level. So maybe I got into the cage warriors things. You know, with six fights, um, starting off pro, and I think I went three and three. So a little bit of mixed, mixed uh, sort of record. I went over to American Top Team to train for a month, and um, that was back in 2011. And um, I came back, and then we went on the run with cage warriors, and I think I went about two and a half, three years unbeaten, and then I got beat once in cage warriors. And then had another fight, and then went to the UFC. So it was sort of uh, halfway through that little stint in the Cage Warriors thing. It's like, you know, there was a little bit of momentum going. We were, I was fighting quite regularly, you know, four or five, maybe six times a year. I think two years running, I did uh, seven fights in a year, which is quite a lot, you know. So yeah. you don't really look at it when you're in the midst of it. Back then, you don't. It's just in hindsight now we can look back and say, well. It was in around that time, you know, but when you're in it, you're just like, oh, just get me in a fight, just get me in a fight, just get me in a fight. You don't really think about it too much. Yeah, you're just living it. Um, Paul, when you were sort of in that cage where you were running, then obviously you got the UFC phone call. That was on short notice and against like an extraordinarily tough uh, opponent in Mursad Bektik at the time. Uh, do you feel like you're almost hard done by in your UFC run? I was hard done by on the way. Um, whatever about the first fight, I know other people have taken, um, you know, uh, short notice fights like that and cut similar weights. A guy I actually beat in Cage Warriors, Damien Brown, he, I think he took a short notice fight, cut something like 30 pounds as well. Mm. relatively Australian fella. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, he had a yeah. couple of good wins there. I think he'd won um, one fight, and I bonus then too. I know Stevie Ray took a, a, a fight on about three weeks now, same, similar sort of weight, 30 pounds. Uh, Rob Wyford took it, and um, so you know. But all those guys, 
got to fight at the normal weight. So Rob Wyvern had to cut the weight to set uh, to featherweight, but he's he always competes at featherweight. Yeah. Stevie Ray got the call for lightweight, and he always competes at lightweight. Same with Damian Brown. I got a call, and I had to go to featherweight, which is ten pounds more than I use usually fight. That's why the cut was so extreme. If they had said lightweight, and we asked for lightweight, and they said no, you know, could, could we do a lightweight fight? This is no, we want a featherweight. Can you make featherweight or not? That was the option you had. Like, um, that must have been, that must have been terrible to, to get that phone call and be like, right, that's that's your goal to reach UFC, and then to get it at like at a lower weight class, you're like, oh, it like was, it's, it was bittersweet, yeah, bittersweet, yeah. I walk around about, you know, when I'm training, 80 kilos. Not not heavy, like not uh, fat or anything like that. And I'll be quite lean at 80 kilos. And the 20 pound drop over the, over the space of about six to eight weeks is fine. It's still, well, you know, all of us fighters, that's about what people are dropping. It's about 20 pounds. When you, when you start reaching into the 30 pounds and going that extra 10, 15 pounds, it's too much on the body. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of fighters doing it. I've seen Ross Pearson doing it years ago. Looked horrible at it. Um, yeah, that's just one off the top of my head. I, Certainly can't do it. I did from my second fight in the UFC. I think it was a three-month camp. It was twelve weeks, and I got right down. I got my body fat down as low as it could go, four percent. I looked great on the scales, but I still had to take out fifteen pound of water on me on the last twelve hours. I still had to dehydrate myself seven kilos of water, which is fifteen pounds. Like that's that's a lot of water. Yeah. So I took a big big left hand off, Robin. Obviously, I hadn't rehydrated properly enough, and it just—I just can't take the shots at uh, one forty-five, you know. Yeah, you and, know? and you're you're unlucky as well that uh, Mursa Bexic's name isn't what it is now. You know what I mean? Uh, so, like, people didn't realize the actual caliber opponent you were going into fight on short notice as well at the lower weight class. True. Yeah, I know he's coming back. On, I know he's coming back on uh, a loss to uh, Josh Emmett. Um, mm. I think he got clipped um, in that fight. But up, up, I think he, I think he was beat twice after me. Josh Emmett and somebody else. And Elkins, that, the damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that. He had battered Elkins for three rounds, and Elkins just a tough head kick. Head <laughs> held him there, head kick, dropped them, swarmed them. Um, but other than that, I think he's finished everybody apart from me uh, in the UFC, inside the UFC cage. So I, I do take a little bit of solace away from that, yeah. you know. He was getting a massive push as well. But like looking back, looking back in hindsight, are you sort of like maybe if I if I had to turn that if I had to turn that opportunity down, I could have got a like a, a one fifty five or are you, were you like the it's one there, there you have to take it. So Siri had only been signed about six months. Here. He was fighting. He was at the fight in Brad Pickett, and I think this was his second fight in the UFC for the Sweden camp. So with that whole. Just before I had got signed, or just before I had it actually approached me, I was helping Neil get ready for that fight. Regardless, for three years prior with Cage Warriors, they always did a New Year's Eve show down in the Helix, so it meant I'd always been cutting weight over the Christmas, always. So I hadn't had a, like a Christmas dinner or a night out or went out with my friends in three years. Yeah. And that year, I remember Cage Warriors cancelling. I was getting ready for. There was meant to be a New Year's Eve show. And they told us all to get ready in November for the card. And then in the middle of December, I think it was, the show got cancelled. So, I don't know, for you, I said, fuck it. There's no, no cards going on. I was signed the cage warriors. They, we, we knew they wouldn't be back till about February, February because everyone's going to be uh, 
you know, having a, a whale of a time over Christmas. So I we went down and had a few drinks. My only saving factor for that was I was help, I was just still in the gym every day helping Neil for his fight, even though I was out having a couple of drinks or out doing whatever with my mates, you know. Um, and it's the only way I was able to salvage some sort of cardio for that fight. Because I remember going back to work on the Monday, say, and I checked my weight on the Tuesday, and I was 84 kilos, and mm-hmm. I said, I better start there. Uh, get me weighed down a little bit now. And on the Thursday, I checked it that morning, I think I was 82 and a half kilos. And that's when the call came in to make 66 and 12 days. That's my hand, Paul. I, I, I still don't know how uh, Foyers managed to cut the weight so well, but look, at it's the end of the day, it, fair play to you. Um, it's not, it's not, we don't cut it well. That's the thing everybody thinks, or I used to tell people that story, you know, anytime they asked or if anybody asked me, I'd say it to them and, it's horrific. It really is. It, like for that two weeks, it, it was probably the worst two weeks of my life. Finished off with the most horrific day I probably ever ever experienced on this earth. Um, and I, I'm not trying to, you know, blow smoke up anyone's ass, but saying that, I mean, realistically, we had got the call, and you're happy and all that. You've got, you know, the UFC or a big organization like that want wants you to fight them. You know, you've obviously made a name for yourself. You've done really good things to get to that point. Um, then it's it's short-lived by about 60 seconds. Then they say, well, I do have to cut. If I hadn't made the weight, I missed weight by three pounds. If I hadn't made the weight, it would have been 36 or 37 pounds all in to cut in 12 days. That's, that's nearly 40 pounds. That's mental. For that whole two weeks, all I ate was like two tiny meals a day of maybe a half a, bre- a half a fillet of fish, some broccoli, and maybe, maybe an avocado twice a day for two weeks while you're still trying to run maybe 10, 15K that morning. A sparring session in the afternoon, and maybe a, you know a, a fitness class that evening, or jujitsu, or whatever, for two weeks, and then followed by another hour of skipping to get your weight down on two or three small meals. Then it comes to the last day of. Sorry, I, we had got to the UFC. We we arrived that week in Sweden, me and Neil and Andy and stuff. And when you arrive to the fight or hotel, they usually put you on a scale just to see how far you're off your weighing, like you know see where you're at so I remember uh, one of the guys had said you know jump up in the scales there Neil Neil was about 8 pound over for 125 yeah go ahead Neil right Paul up you get and I was 77.8 kilos on the Wednesday and I had to be 66 dead on Friday afternoon fucking hell I said 77 ah that's not too bad I'm right right down 155 and Neil had says no no he's going to 145 and a man just looked at me and says, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, so that was that. And then like, the last day, I remember, so you obviously have to cut your food and your water out uh, 24 hours beforehand. A lot of fighters do that, just to sort of drain whatever's left in your body. Yeah. But I remember sitting in the sauna for about four or five hours on the Friday, in, out, in, out, in, out. And then we didn't, I started the sauna on this at about 9 a.m. on the Friday morning. And I didn't get out until five o'clock that evening. So you didn't have a hotel room. You just that was your room. That was my room. <laughs> I think I I didn't get any sleep that night because I was so dehydrated going to bed. And I think I, I think of the day of the weigh-ins, I think I only lost five pound in ten, eleven, twelve, about seven hours. That's, that's actually that's all you crazy. Had left was, 
all you had left was the organs in your body, a bit of blood and uh, whatever hair you had in your head. That's what I'm saying. You know, I've seen, I've heard, I've heard fighters cutting to the extreme. That was past the extreme. You know, I remember hearing John Lineker used to be like that every fight camp. If he, they'd be carrying him in and out, out, out of the sauna, and at one point he'd be, there'd be blood, he'd be pissing blood basically because there's no, there's no water left in. Yeah, when, when you cut weight. The water comes from everywhere, your brain, your kidneys, your blood. Um, so your blood thickens up. So the reason why there's deaths when people cut weight is your blood gets so thick, your heart can't pump it around because it's not liquid. It's not um, as um, liquid as water. It gets so thick and your heart just starts racing. And that's why a lot of people have heart attacks when they're cutting weight because of that. That's the reason for it. So it, that's how bad it gets, you know? Yeah. What about like comparing that weight cut to... Like uh, weight cuts for your most recent fights. I know there are two different weights, but have you learned certain techniques to help you drop the weight easier now over time? No, um, I tried at the start when I when I was first starting to cut weight to seventy kilos. I had no idea what I was doing. Not a lot, many people like cutting weight is a science. It's a fine science of you can fuck it up fairly easy. You know, if you're on, if you're about two three weeks out from a fight. And your weight cutting and, you, and everything sort of measured out and uh, down to the last gram and stuff like that. If you go out and say have a big meal, like a, I don't know, only one meal can fuck your whole weight cut up. Like it's it's that it's down to the wire. So for years I used to uh, I'd be trying to read and Google stuff on what's better about cutting weight on athletes. I'd go into, I would read a lot and I've tried every diet now the man just to see if the weight come down. Low carb, high carb, keto, um, Atkins, the list goes fucking on. Count yeah. calories. And the, the basic thing is, is eat 90% right, clean all the time. And that 10% is like a cheat meal, a meal on a Sunday. When you're in camp, you eliminate the cheat meal and maybe pull some fuel back uh, closer to the fight. That's it. You just got to live the lifestyle. Don't, don't go partying too much and just look after yourself, really, and the rest will look after itself. Because obviously we're in the gym two, three times a day, six days a week. If you're, if you're not milling the field, the weight will come down naturally enough, you know. Um, but we are abusing our body, it's just taxing. It really is. Do you find it difficult to stay very strict in your diet? Because obviously you work in building as well and you're a DJ, so you're out late as well. Yeah, um, I find if you if you if you don't prep or if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail basically. So if you, if you some when I'm in fight camp at the minute now, I've sort of I won't say lack eased up. Like I like eating clean, I like feeling good. I hate I don't like feeling shit. But like say in the evening, I'll have two bottles of beer, no problem. When I'm sitting chilling watching the TV, or they I, I don't really do that too often. But we're in lockdown, <laughs> I can't get out of the house. You know, I may, as well, I may as well have a bottle of beer to cheer myself up at the, like, like I said, like one of, the, one of the cycles we did there the other day, I think we cycled out the Bray. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. And, you know, up around Houghton, so I think it was 85k all in. And obviously, you're going to have a beer or two after that, you know. Um, <laughs> but, like, other than that, no, I just, I, I, again, I like eating clean. I look after what I, what I eat and stuff like that. So, yeah. I, used to, I used to hate it. I used to, you know, put a bro- piece of broccoli near my mouth. Like, for fuck's sake. I'd be just frustrated with myself but then it, it, the more you do it the more you enjoy feeling good and that type of stuff yeah. and just to finish up on the weight cutting there 
if someone actually videos your wake up for Sweden, would that have been reminiscent? I don't know if you saw at the time Darren Till did his wake up or Cyborg did her wake up. I'd say it would probably be like the Cyborg one, probably. Few tears. Yeah, uh, I was, I was, there was no tears left in me. I was that dry. You yeah, know, you would have been happy to cry to lose that I water weight. I've been crying early, <laughs> you know. Um, I just remember we were in the sauna, and it was to that point where we had about a half an hour before we had to go to the bus to the scales. And Andy and uh, Neil and stuff are dragging me in, like literally, I'm like that over the two of them getting dragged in and out of the sauna. And when you come out mm-hmm. of the sauna, you've got to wrap yourself in towels over the head and stuff like that. So they covered me in towels, like in 20 towels. All you could see was this out of my, out, out, out of my face and in my eyes. And uh, there was some, like it was, a, it was an open sort of sauna um, gym room where, uh, you know, it was women and men could sort of knock around. But I just remember this woman coming in and she was saying, oh my God, what is wrong with him? And Neil turned around her and says, uh, I know he's just cut away for a boxing match. What? Where is he fighting? He's not fighting anywhere. He says, he's fighting tomorrow. He's not ready. He's free. he's free to go to the hospital and just stop. <laughs> and, uh, that's how bad it was, you know. So it's just, it's just a thing people don't see. They just see us on the fight. Now he's walking out healthy. Yeah. You know, they, that's, it's horrific. And it's a stupid practice anyway. Like, look at boxers. They don't cut too much weight. They're not, they're, they're not, um, some, uh, sorry, some sort of organizations make them have uh, reweighing clause, you're not allowed to be more than 15 yeah. pounds the next day or whatever. Um, MMA needs to get some sort of handle on it. To be, to be fair, though, the guys at Bellator, they have a guy called Mike Mazzulli, and he's from the head commission in in America somewhere. I can't think of the name of it. And he comes in, he tells he tells all the fighters, Look, stop booking cutting weight, don't be stupid, you'll fight better at the next weight up. The problem with that is. If I make the jump up the welterweight, the guys are monsters. So unless they move, unless we're all forced to move up a weight category, naturally, yeah. I would put on much better performances if I could fight at 77 kilos. I think I, I did like uh, Polaris at 77 kilos. Obviously not the same, but it's a 10-minute match. You weigh in the day before. I dieted right down, stood on the scales, went straight to Nando's with Andy's, felt great after it. I think I went up about two kilos, you know, just from like eating. No big deal, you know. So I think if they move the whole roster up a weight class, if you fight at lightweight, now you fight at welter. If you fight at welter, now you're in middleweight. No big deal. They're just not cutting the weight. They're still fighting the same guys, same the same way one did, you know. Yeah. Before we get into your Bellator career, um, obviously you're training under Andy Ryan. Can you just tell us a few things like how important he's been to your career as well? Because he's uh, one of the biggest characters in Irish MMA. Yeah, the daddy of MMA, as we call him. <laughs> Only for Andy, I, 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 wouldn't, I don't think I would have pushed myself um, to sort of the limits that uh, I got to. Or, you know, I, I, when you're coming up, when you're young, and you're, like I took MMA up, sorry, I took combat sports, we'll say, up very late in my, in my, career, in, in my life, basically. I, I only started on my tw- a week after my 22nd birthday, and yeah. I, I was brutal. I was fucking shy, like, you know. Um, we like anyone trying a new sport, let's be honest about it. Um, but I just kept at it and at it and at it. But for about a year, I used to be smoking joints going down to the gym, doing my workout, and I'd have like joints made by walking home. You'd be smoking away and you'd be still going out on the weekend. And I, I didn't know what to, 
what an athlete lifestyle was to live. He obviously lived it since he's a young age because I think he's been doing judo since he's about four or five years of age. So he lived that athlete lifestyle all his life. Um, and I didn't know what it was. Basically, I thought once you're in the gym, you're, you're training. Yeah. Everything yeah. else, you, you can do whatever the fuck you want. So, um, And then even after some of my fights, you, you would think, well, I take the foot off here, I go mad for a few weeks. And he wouldn't let you do that, you know. So I don't think if, uh, if, I, if, if I wasn't being coached by Andy, I don't think I would have pushed myself to the to the places that I got. And I'll always be thankful for that as well, you know. Yeah, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. Um, uh, right, we have to get into your Bellator career, right? I remember you were fighting Bellator there. It was a couple ago, a couple of couple of events ago, right? First one. The first one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah. Bellator was a two seventeen when you fought Charlie Leary. No, no, I don't remember before that, and nobody, absolutely nobody, seen it. So it was about three years ago. It was Obama Bellator one. Obama tour, as we called it. Obama tour, yeah. So. <laughs> I had fought, they were asking me, Bama were asking me to fight Ryan Scope over in the UK for the Bama belt. And they were putting on the Bama in Dublin on whatever date. And I says, let's, no problem with the fight, perfect. Well, let's do it in Dublin. I don't want to miss out on that. But they wanted Scope because obviously it was in Newcastle. Scope's a big deal over there. And yeah. Sort of, we'd, everyone wanted it in their own way, you know. So we left it and then, Bama gave us a, a release to fight on KSW. They were here the week before. So I had did the fight for KSW and then it was sorry, Bama Bellator, Bama Tor was two weeks after KSW. I did the fight for KSW down in the tree arena. And then I was taking a week off. It was a it was a grand fight, no injuries, no nothing from it. It was good, I got the win. Uh, I took a week off and then on that week off, they rang Andy. And they said, uh, does Reds want to fight on uh, Bellator next week? So I said, fuck it, let's do it. You know, not, my weight hadn't gone back up too much. Um, I'd asked for a 73 catch weight. They said, no problem. And that was that. But usually Bellator would be on second because obviously it's, it's a big US promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll be. And for whatever reason, Bellator ended up going first. Yes. I was forced to yes. fight the Bellator card, which meant I was forced to fight the whole night. And everyone was saying, what the fuck is Red yeah. Bell fighting for? <laughs> was that, hold on, was this the AJ McKee-Broy Moore fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember I that, yeah. Thought it was fucking brilliant. I, there wasn't too many people there. I got to go, I went in, got me win, kicked back with a few beers uh, for the rest of the fight card, watched everyone fight, and it was great. Yeah, but uh, th- th- there's a story I have to tell. It was Bellator t- 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 uh, 217. And uh, you, like, Ross would be the main guy. Like, you know, he's found some knowledge with the MMA stuff, but uh, he couldn't go. So is I this when to- you go and interview him, is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, Red. So you probably don't remember this, but me and Barry always do the show together, right? And you're a part of Energize Royalty, right? This is my favorite interview that I've never been part of on Energize. Barry kicks off, he's interviewing you, he goes, uh, uh, can, I, can I not tell the story? Uh, I hope you don't mind, but I'm actually you, a bit nervous. Right? Why are you robbing the story? Why are you robbing the story? <laughs> because, because I listened to it. Flashback, right? What happened was, oh yeah, Ross is usually the guy who does all the, the interview stuff, but like he couldn't go, right. so like I, I was like, right, I'll go. And then uh, like I was mad nervous. So I was, like, now, was this before or after the fight? This before, this before. Right, right so <laughs> then uh, I, like, I went over and started interviewing you, 
And then I go, uh, how, are you do- how are you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm doing grand. How are you? And I go, I'm actually a bit nervous. And you go, what the fuck are you nervous for? I'm the one fighting. I was like, yeah, no, yeah, I'm only joking. <laughs> but like, ever since that, ever since that, then we had the conversation. It's back, I think it's like near episode 100 if you want to watch it back. But then I remember at the very, very end, I asked you, what are you going to have? What are you going to eat after your fight? And you said you're going to have pancakes with your knees. Then you went out, won, said you're injured, still won, and went for the pancakes with your knees. And then I was like, Ever since then, I was like, Reds are what a legend, man. What a nice guy. And, uh, <laughs> like, that story, that story, like, that was out on the podcast. And, like, I was like, yeah, I'm only messing with other nerves. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, he, he hasn't been allowed to interview anyone ever since. I've been bad since. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be fucking nervous about you. I'm only talking to like one of the lads from oh, Dublin. You know what I mean? I've never done it before. But uh, <laughs> now, now it was semi pro. Semi pro. But uh, Reds are, you're obviously, you're obviously now with Bellator. Um, like, People these days are saying, why isn't Reds on the main card? Why isn't Reds like one of the headliners? And then I saw you in an interview and you're like, you don't give a fucking shit about that stuff. I do. Look, look, to say I don't would be, it would be an understatement. I do. Of course I do. It's, it's yeah. not, look, nobody, fighting on the undercards, whatever. It is what it is. I just say it as a fight. Yeah. The reason why I say that is, I'm not gonna kick up foot if they don't want to put if nobody wants to put me on the on the main spot or the top card or whatever. So be it. Yeah. Are you just like here? I don't care, and then you're gonna like try and prove it that you should be. On no, the it's like I don't, I don't need to prove it because like 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 you were saying, some some of me a lot of me fights are entertaining. I, I don't fight to steal a win by jab 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 move jab move. I go for it every time, and if that means that I get beat in the process of doing it, it is what it is. Um, but I would rather be an entertaining fighter than one that gets all the wins really boring and not ones that people want to see. It's great that anytime they rock into town, everybody kicks up foot. So it means people like to see me. So yeah, you're one of the most loyal fighters in Ireland, man. Like so, like 100%. if people want to see me fight, they will fight. So maybe it's either the way I see it is they're doing it because of two reasons: a to fill up the place for the undercard to make it busy for the undercard or whatever or it could be that I'm not that popular and maybe I don't draw <laughs> or maybe that I don't draw a shit for the main card I don't know but no, you know. or, or see, can I, or can see I, you, you could be DJing later on that night you know <laughs> it could be it could be uh, Reds I actually think the honest truth is if you trained at SPG under John Kavanagh you get a better rub of the green on car positions I think SPG and John Kavanagh has so much pull when Bellator comes to Dublin that the SPG fighters get the rub of the cart green. Uh, we had Miles Price on earlier in the week, and he was sort of feeling that way. Do you ever feel like the SPG guys are treated better than everyone else? Um, look, it is what it is. Uh, John's over there, there doing his thing with SPG or whatever. So if he's in with SPG, oh, sorry, if he's in with Bellator, and he's the main guy for them, and he's got a big stable of fighters. They're obviously going to pander to whatever John wants. Again, I'm not going to start kicking up folks saying, "Oh, I'm not getting this, I'm not getting that." Just shoot the fuck off for you, and then do the business, you know. Yeah, as you said with most points as well. Uh, like uh, as like myself and Ross follow follow the, the fight business, and like we, like we love when the Irish lads do well. It just be uh, like we just want all the Irish fighters to do well. Like, I mean, certain people in, in particular, like yourself, who's like, a lot of the people come to the arena to see you. So, like, don't say they don't, because they're all going to the other party with you. But uh, it'd be great if like, certain people, like, if everyone got to push, you know what I mean? Because it just helps the Irish MMA scene itself. 
But some the only thing that sort of it's uh, it's frustrating, I'd say, is the novice amateurs. I don't know them when I talk to them and all that. So I'd say the the guys that are oh and oh oh and one all the way up to maybe five fights. When they start getting placements way up the card ahead of guys with twenty foot like we've twenty five pro fights. Yeah. Um, and I fought in all the head organizations and all that shit. You fought everywhere, Redzer. Literally. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So of a lot of experience there. So I think it makes it, you're gonna and you know what way I fight. So when people with relatively no experience um get bumped up ahead of you or you know then it just becomes frustrating. And I think it's some some people say the same thing. Maybe they don't. But for me, as a sort of seasoned uh, pro would say, who's been around a long time doing it, um, yeah, it gets a little bit frustrating. Yeah. It seems like like just from the outside looking in, because it seems that uh if you if you go to the Bellator oh sorry, if you go to if you go train SPG, then you have a perfect opportunity and career path going to Bellator, which is great. If you want to make money and do that stuff, that's great. But it seems like if you're in Team Rhino or if you're in Team KF and you want to get to the UFC, you, the, the SPG is not the path, really. I don't know. It just seems like certain... Look, Stephen, I think, look I, think, I think being affiliated with a gym is only going to get you so far. 100%. If you can't back it up as a fighter, forget about it. So, if you're in Bellator and you're looking to get to the top of the Bellator division and get the strap, and it's a wall strap, don't make no... Mm. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it's, a, it's a legitimate world world title. And mm. the guys mm. up at that level are animals. If you're looking to get to that and you're going to Bellator Blue and you're not as good as what you think, be it whatever gym you're ever in, you're not, like even if you get the shot, you're going to get beat or you're going to get found out. And it's, it's the same if you go to fucking Cage Warriors and whatever. The cream always goes to the top and that's, that's that. It doesn't matter what gym you're from or what gym you're out. You might get a couple of opportunities on the way, we'll say, but if you're not good enough, you'll be found out. And it's yeah. a fucking tough spot to find out if you're good enough or not. 100%. Hopefully whoever's listening now, they understand that like we just want all the Irish fighters to do well. And that's, of course. That's yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. it's part of it. like, it's Especially everyone knows, you know, everyone likes, uh, knows the Irish look after themselves. They, 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 all, they all want everyone to do well and stuff like that. Um, there's just... Some guys are here and some guys are there when it, you know, should be the other way around. That's that's all it is. Yeah, it's just because you're a fucking legend as well. Like, and you've been everywhere and people are like are like you're one of the main people people are going to the arena for. So it's just like, uh, I feel like you should get a, a better rub of the green. You know, I want to see you yeah. on that poster on the bar station. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, but like, is that is that the DJ from Twenty Two? That's <laughs> the one. That's what they're saying. The cock and bull and kill luck. Tell us this, right? You fought in Cage Warriors, KSW, Bellator, UFC. Which wow. promotion did you think was a bomb as well? Which promotion do you think was actually the best for being a fighter, being organised, being looked after? Um, do you know what? They are just, they, they, like, they're all quite similar, really. You know, and I tell you who's a shout of cunts. The UFC, that's you know, they're wankers. Uh, that's just from a, a fighter. The, the, some of the people that we met in the UFC, they're lovely. The background staff, man, they're all lovely. But like that, filling on a couple of weeks' notice, give it no give on the weigh-ins, not a uh, weight weight that you fight at. Same with the second one, and uh, they knew we fight a lightweight. They, they don't give a fuck. It's just a fucking cash machine, you know. They'll pick. They literally give anybody a call, anybody anywhere around the world, and they know they'll get that signature on the. On the contract, um, yeah, but then, there's their chance. 
that UFC, you hear that and you think, oh, just I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. But the times are changing, you know, people are getting, people are wising up to all this, um, to all of it. And people are going where the money's at. We don't give a fuck what you say. Like I used to think at the start when I was fighting for just in uh, hall shows, even when I was a pro, stuff like that. You would do. I was just doing it just to do it. I never really mm. thought of money in the contract. I never thought I'd be get to this level, you know, where I'm at. Yeah. But then if you're at that level and you're after spending 10 years doing it, well, then that's exactly what it comes down to is money. That's it. It's uh, the more money you can get, go for it. Yeah. Because yeah, it's a short career. Um, it's price so the, Yeah. So to tell you the truth, the, the, the contract I'm on now with Bellator has, is the best contract I've been throughout all of them. Congrats. You deserve it. Uh, I think I've got two fights left on this. Or uh, after my next fight, I think we renegotiate. I usually do it after the third fight. So we'll see where. I, but I'm happy with Peloton. I really am. I like the guys over there. I like the way they do things, and um, they push it a little bit on their uh, on their on their social medias. They don't ask too much. Yet. They leave it alone to trend. They, mm. You know, and I like that. I thought KSW were great. I thought Cage Warrior staff brilliant. Half the guys are bam are with Peloton, so you know it, it, it's one of those. So, but they are look. The only time you ever see the guys is the last week when uh, when it's fight week. So, and everyone's super nice down at Bellator as well. So they are. They're really really nice. That's the mm. thing. That's the thing. I think I think people that like sort of jump on the and watch MMA, they sort of just think there's only UFC, and then no. they, and probably they just follow because they saw Connor. But now, like you can see, the lads making making really good money in Bellator, whereas they probably be getting half of that if they're in the UFC. So I mean, for most of them, we're just like you. Get, get, your, yeah. get the bread. Get the bread while you can, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, like, and then, uh, even with KSW, KSW do their own thing, which I actually think is really, uh, it's really good. They don't oversell a card. It's nine fights. You go, they put on a big, huge production. The staff at KSW are great. Even the top guys, Martin, and, oh, I can't think of the other guys then. They, I, I asked them, I think I had one fight left on my contract, maybe two, and, I said to them, I said, look, Bellator doing this European division. I think I can make a little bit more money going there. Not a whole lot more, but it's something. And the guys just says, if you t- if that's what you want to do, we release you from their contract. No way, no, no problems whatsoever. They didn't have to do that. They could have left me sitting on the shelf for another year. I think I had left on the contract. Not fought me, not do anything. I would have been a year out. They didn't. They let me go. They wished me well. And you know, to me, that's that's just that- super. That's the most better way of doing business. You know what I mean? It, it makes everyone happy at the end, end of the day. And they uh, said to me, if you want to back over, you know, you will have gladly, gladly take it, yeah. Uh, Paul, I just want to get into the Bellator lightweight division. Yeah. Um, we, when we had Brian Moore on, we brought up um, the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix and think of running one because there is no Bantamweight champion at the moment. Um, yeah. w- just because everyone's going to be chomping at the bit to get back into it as soon as this lockdown's over. Do you think a Bellator lightweight Grand Prix would be worth putting on as well? And maybe the winner then fights Pitbull because he's sort of tied up in the featherweight Grand Prix. Yeah, I think that's the only way to do it. I think you couldn't have Pitbull in it again because mm. I think maybe he would have been burned out if he's doing two fucking Grand Prix back to back. You know, uh, I think the, I think Pitbull at lightweight, you know, he does hit hard and stuff like that. Um, but just holding up the two belts, it's it's hard, you know. You are holding up mm. one whole division for like nobody can get that strap in the next fucking whatever. So he beats Hedro. Um, so what's that? Is that the semi-finals that's going down? Yeah. Quarter, that's a quarter final. 
And then oh, if he beats yeah. Pedro, he's got another two fights oh, ahead of him in, in that featherweight division. Then he'd probably take about another four or five months off to let himself heal up from any injuries that he's going through from that rigorous uh, sort of fight schedule. So that's the fucking there's nobody's get there's nobody getting a belt in the lightweight division for the next year, you know. Mm. So um you could certainly do that. You could certainly do a full um Grand Prix to the belt, but there's no belt mm. being off inside it. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's cool. I just think with the lockdown and everyone wanting to fight, everyone's gonna to want to fight as soon as the lockdown's over. It makes perfect sense to you know have the brackets set up, ready yeah. to rock. Yeah, ready we go. And you definitely be interested in actually being in that bracket, oh, I yeah. assume. Yeah, hundred percent. And the thing with the lockdown and stuff is oh, healing from injuries. Everyone, all these fighters are going to be healing from injuries too. They're going to be yeah. fucking. I've had niggles for years, and um, uh, you know, you fight with them. I've had some serious injuries then as well, mm. broken leg, torn ligaments, and stuff like that. That's grand, and the torn rotator cuff. That's good as gold now. So I think a lot of it, uh, uh, this bit of time off is. All the fighters just will be coming into like camp, no injuries, no niggles, no nothing. So it's going to be good. Yeah, and when's going to be back 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Who's back? Who do you want, Fredzer? I don't really, I never really look at it like that because the thing with it is, is um, what way are they going to do it? Are they going to give it a Europe, someone out of the European division for the European series? Or are they going to take someone over there again from. Uh, the states, uh, the way they did with George on last minute. Then the uh, girls had just got beat by um, uh, Fungar got beat by Primus as well, didn't he? Yeah, so like, I don't know what way they're going to do it. So, they got, if they want me to do something in the European division, let's do that. If they want me to do something in America, if they want me to go to America, I'll do that because they've got I've got the the US visa as well. So, I'm happy to go over states already as well. They they pushed me to do the US visa and stuff like that. So I can do that if you want. What What about if you did this idea? You put eight European fighters and you put them in one bracket and eight yeah. North American fighters, put them in a bracket. The winner fights each other and then the winner fights Pitbull. Yeah, let's do it. Jeez, Seth, oh, you should get a job with Bellator now. Who is that? He'd probably jump on it. He loves that shit. He does love that shit, yeah. But yeah, here. All, all the bantamweights love the bantamweight idea. Yeah, I mean, look, if there's a if there's a belt there for grabs, why not? You know, that should mm. be uh, it's an easy call. You know, especially if they're already doing the, the that Grand Prix style. I think everybody mm. likes it because it's something to follow over the space of about nine months a year. You know, it, it, it's pretty easy to follow. Uh, but yeah, it's an easy decision to do the bantamweight one. It's just the obviously. The, I mean, it makes sense for a number one contender spot with the the lightweight. Excuse me, the lightweight bracket, but. It's uh yeah, I know. Yeah, it'd be a perfect. I'm happy. To, I'm happy to do it anyways. Yeah, it'd be a perfect time to start at at uh, Bellator Dublin in October or yep. September October. Yeah. But, so they, uh, but here's one boy. Actually, they think uh, it'll go ahead in October. I'm gonna say yes. Yeah. I think there's no big events till September, and I think October they'll be able to roll out. Maybe you might not be able to pull whatever it is, thirteen, fourteen thousand people in there, but you might be able to get five thousand people in there and have it. See, I think they actually lose where they put the cage. They lose about two thousand or three thousand, so they can only fit ten in it, anyways. When the cage is there, mm. you know that whole floor space. Yeah. They, lose, they lose a lot, so they can only fit ten in it. So, mm. if they're doing five, they have to open up the whole arena 
and have space seat you know right mm. the way around um not a bad idea for the five thousand you know um it'd be still great and that's what Bama used to do down there mm-hmm. they only ever did three and a half maybe um but uh yeah i'd certainly be up for it for, for five thousand down in there the trailer in yeah yeah is that when in the ufc they used to bring the octagon a bit more into the middle of the floor didn't they and yeah. then they used to have seating behind as well didn't they? Seat in the back yeah but i suppose Bellator have like that more, but it's almost like a WWE style entrance yeah, with the, like the Titan Tron. Titan yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm sure like the Bellator, like Titan Tron. I think it's like, well, we always sit yeah. in uh, press row, so it's like we always have the best seats in the house, so it's great. But I think before the Titan Tron, I'm just like, it, it makes the fires look cooler as they come out. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Like, I'm like, I'm like, but also, if, if you don't know a fighter and then they come out on the Titan Tron, you're like, Right, that looks cooler. No? Yeah. Come out with two cans of lead, Bud Light, 316 on the short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, you uh, get better, better than El Titan Tron. Listen, the next time I'm down there on a women fight, you better have two Bud Light strolled to me at the top of the cage. <laughs> big, the big red machine. But... Uh, <laughs> Reds man, you're an absolute legend. Thanks a million for coming on the show. Um, anytime, so, anytime, chaps. Uh, yeah, we're going to actually, we, we 100% have to do it again before your next fight. But, uh, Ross, as I say, before we wrap things up. No, guys, thanks a million for listening. If you do enjoy the show, like, share, subscribe. And as always, stay energised. Stay energised. Stay energised. Come on.